Um, so we're about to start a new series starting next week. We're starting a new series of messages, and we're going to be looking at the book of Acts uh, and asking the question, where to from here, which is really the question that the disciples were asking in the book of Acts. Jesus had died and been raised, and then they kind of commissioned them and then disappeared, and they went, what are we doing now? And there's all these really surprising and unexpected stories as they're kind of figuring out how God is leading them, and it seemed like a really appropriate season for us as a church as we're asking some questions about where to next, like physically and literally, as we consider um, what it might mean to, well, what it will mean to not be in this building anymore. But much more than that, what is it that God wants to do with us as a church family in this next season? Um, but today, school holidays, Nate's away, uh, lots of people are away, actually, I've just been away. Um, there's a bit of a kind of pre-intro to that series. I'm going to share with you a little bit about what I've been up to this week. Um, but particularly how it connects with a topic that we think is really important for us at church and one that we've named as one of our values over the last few years. But we're kind of still asking the question, what does it look like to engage with? So today, I guess I want to um, share a bit of a practical invitation to put the things we say we believe into practice. Um, the kind of scriptures that we read, as I said, I hope frame this conversation. I could have picked almost any passage in the Bible for what I want to share with you today, because as followers of Jesus, as the family of God, as those who seek justice and mercy and unity and love, we live in a country that has this ongoing, underlying issue, this history that we haven't done a good job of naming, of who we are as a nation, that affects our community, that affects us as a church, that affects me personally. And so I've been really challenged what it looks like for me uh, as an Australian to put the gospel into practice living on a land that's not first my own. What it means for us as a church to live on Ghana land and to acknowledge those who've come before us. What does it mean for us as a movement of churches, as a family of churches who um, we're currently in the process of amalgamating Baptist churches of South Australia with the Baptist churches of the Northern Territory. Uh, and our family, our brothers and sisters in the Northern Territory, half of those churches are Aboriginal churches. What does it look like to include and engage with them well? Uh, and what does it mean for us as a nation, as our government has announced that we're going to be heading towards a referendum uh, on, in response to the Uluru Statement and particularly the question of a voice to parliament? And how do we as Christians wrestle with our responses to that and how we might be speaking about that well in the public sphere? So a couple of things I wanted to say before I share some stories with you this morning. I'm always very conscious I want to be careful not to speak on behalf of others at any time, but particularly on a topic like this. I'm not an Aboriginal person. I am, uh, you know, I'm a person of English heritage, although I don't really identify that way because my family has been in Australia for many, many generations. Um, but I don't fully understand when it comes to engaging with some of the questions and challenges I'm wrestling in. And so I want to listen well to those who've walked this journey before me uh, and not be seen to be speaking on their behalf. So I'm going to share some stories, I'm going to share some questions that I have, and I'm going to ask some questions for you as well. I also want to acknowledge that not everyone's at the same place um, when we talk about this. There are different voices that we hear in our media, uh, across our churches, in personal relationships that we have with different people, and challenges in responding to what we're he hearing and wrestling with what it means in practice for each of us. I also just wanted to say personally, I'm exhausted. I've had a really big week. Um, we did about two and a half thousand kilometres of driving in five days. Uh, so it, you feel like, you know, you're just sitting there doing nothing, but it's full on and exhausting. But also had 
some really challenging conversations and interactions and saw some things that are really confronting uh, and don't really know how to respond <laughs> to all of those. So I definitely have more questions than answers for to share with you this morning. But I think there are four contexts for me at which this conversation is coming out of. The first one is personal. I was born on the lands of the Eora people of the Gadigal Nation. I grew up on dark and young country, and I now live and work and walk on Ghana land. And it's taken me many years to be able to tell that story because the cultural traditions in which I grew up and was educated didn't really take account of the place that I was located on. Kind of Western enlightenment thinking that has so shaped my education and my way of being in the world is quite abstract and quite conceptual and quite intellectual and heady. Uh, and for me personally, it was actually reading the scriptures, particularly the Old Testament scriptures, and recognising how important God's gift of land and place and country to his people is that first challenged me about my own disconnect from where I place my feet. And then certainly over the last couple of decades, I guess, it has been listening to Aboriginal brothers and sisters as they talk about connection to country and what that means that has helped me to understand that this is an area in which... I have been deficient and I have wrestled and I still seek to, to figure out what it means personally for me to be a follower of Jesus in this place where I live. For us as a church, for Richmond Baptist Church, we had a really interesting exercise last year um, when we were looking for our new pastor before we found Nate. Um, we went through the process of putting together what's called a church profile and a pastoral profile. So it's basically us as a church saying, who are we uh, and what are we looking for in a pastor? And those two documents became part of, you know, like the job ad uh, that people could apply for. And what happened when the pastoral search team got together and when we talked and surveyed to people across the church was we realised that we've named our values pretty well. We have our Richmond values. You can find them on our website. They're on the screen at the beginning of the gatherings. You can ask for a copy of them if you want. Um, and they name a whole bunch of things that we value as a church community. They talk about what it means to gather to worship and to connect with our local neighbourhood, what it means to learn and listen to the scriptures. There's a whole bunch of stuff in there. But there were two things that we identified that were actually really strongly held values of our church community but weren't named anywhere. <laughs> Um, and so we put them at the bottom of the church profile, which I think I've got a screenshot for you. Uh, the first one was our value of men and women working together in partnership in ministry. And we really value the voices of women and men um, and have really intentionally sought to make space and be a church community that gives space for both women and men. Um, and the second was that we want to journey well with First Nations people, that we want to be listening and learning and responding to those that we have connection with, but also the context in which we find ourselves in Australia today. Um, and that was, I think, really encouraging, but also really challenging for us as a church community to name those um, and then to ask the question, well, what do we do with that? Over the last decade, we as a church have had some really great connections with people like Common Grace and Brooke Prentice, as, um, although she hasn't been here for the last couple of years during COVID, would call this her Adelaide Church when she's in town. Uh, we've been engaged with the Surrender Conference. We have met with the Aboriginal Brian Church, who is a member church of our movement, and shared. They came, um, actually, I think came once every year, and then COVID happened, and we haven't had that shared gathering together since. Um, so something, this is something that I guess we as a church, um, we've tried to integrate learning and listening to um, voices from our sisters and brothers across our community in art, uh, in our messages, in the way that we've learned. So it's a, it's a challenge, but it's also a priority and a value for us as a church. 
Um, I mentioned before I'm part of our wider movement of a family of churches, Baptist Churches for South Australia and the Northern Territory. As we look to amalgamate, this has really raised the level of that. We are a movement of 75 churches in South Australia, and one of those 75 churches is an Aboriginal church, the Berean Church. And we are amalgamating with a movement of 12 churches in the Northern Territory, six of which are Aboriginal churches. And what does it look like to listen and learn well together and to be family together? Um, but also as a national movement, and I think I've got a photo of this as well, our national movement, um, well, our national council, which is kind of the leadership of Australian Baptist ministries, uh, just last month, September was last month, wasn't it? See, I don't even know what day it is. Um, <laughs> last month uh, made a statement of response to the Uluru Statement, saying that we want to graciously accept the invitation that is offered by the Uluru Statement of our Aboriginal brothers and sisters to walk together towards a better future. And we want to encourage all of our churches uh, to engage with, to learn, to listen, and to seek how they might best response, uh, respond. Because that's the fourth context. We're part of this national conversation that is happening in our political spheres, in our government, both at federal and state level, across the media, probably in conversations that you're having with people in your family, in your workplace, in your community. What does it mean for us as a nation to wrestle with our history, to address some of the challenges of our present, and most importantly, to walk together towards a better future together? So that's a bit of a context uh, of where we find ourselves. And then specifically, we find ourselves here as followers of Jesus who are people who seek justice, people who seek reconciliation, people who seek unity, people who seek to learn from one another and are caught up in a vision that God is creating a community of people from every tribe and tongue and nation where we might all worship him together. So what is God calling us to do in this let me share a little bit of a story about my week for you. So I've got a couple of maps to give you a picture. Some of you might be way familiar with the Northern Territory and others not so much. Uh, so if we flew into Darwin uh, last weekend, uh, and which is, I, I should have looked this up. I looked up all the other distances. Darwin's about 3,000 kilometres away, am I right, from Adelaide? Anyone know off the top of their head? Is Evan, you, you're our Darwin expert, aren't you? How, how far is About that? Yep. <laughs> About, about three or four days' drive if you just went straight through. Uh, but uh, So we flew, flew into Darwin and then we drove south. So we drove south down to Catherine, which is about 300 kilometres. And there are two churches that are part of our family of Baptist churches um, in Catherine. There is the Catherine Baptist Church and then there's the Catherine Walpree Baptist Church. So kind of an Indigenous church and a non-Indigenous church. And we just had a brief stop over there. Then we drove about another 500 days to a place called Kaukaringi. And Kaukaringi is on uh, Gurindji country. Uh, and there's a church there, the Catherine Dagaragu Baptist Church. And we stayed uh, in that town for a few days and uh, met with the people in that church every night because they have church every night, uh, which is a really interesting challenge um, for us who come together once a week. Uh, they come together every night for uh, different things, for Bible study one night, for prayer another night, for singing together another night, for listening to the scriptures another night. Uh, so that was a real privilege. And then um, we also did a trip out to a place called Lajamanu, which is another 100 k's or so from uh, Kaukaringi. Um, and Lajamanu, uh, it doesn't look that far, but that's probably the, the roughest journey because um, it's a pretty rough road uh, out there. Um, and Lajamanu is, Lajamanu is a Walpuri community. It's on Gurindji country, but the, the town itself is um, Walpuri people sort of been given to uh, the Walpuri people. And Lajamanu Baptist Church has been a member church of our movement for many, many years. Uh, and it's been a place of, of great revival and of God doing some amazing things um, throughout our history, as has Kaukaringi, actually. 
So that's where I went. I wanted to share with you a couple of the stories that I'm still processing, um, some of the conversations we had as we met with our brothers and sisters in this place. Uh, so Carol Kawinji um, has a few leaders in their church, but one of the couples we met is a couple called Danny and Leah, and there's a photo of uh, Elliot. So Elliot, who many of you would know, um, previous pastor here, um, now works at Baptist Churches in Leadership and Mission. He was um, on the journey with us, as well as Scott Pilgrim, who's our National Director of Baptist Mission Australia. Um, but that photo is of, of Scott and Elliot with a couple named Danny and Leah, who are church, leaders of the church in Kalkarindji. And to sit with them and listen to some of their stories, uh, they were so gracious but also honest in their sharing with us as we recognise that we come into the conversation as the people with the power. Um, I don't usually think of myself as a powerful person. I don't know if you think of yourself as a powerful person, but I turn up in their town and enter into a conversation and I am in a place of power. Um, and I don't want to be, and I want to be listening and learning, um, and so I, I have to wrestle with that, that. But they were so gracious and honest in their sharing with us um, as they told us some of their story. And the thing that really struck me and that I really remember for that conversation and I wanted to share with you this morning, Danny talked about the history that he learned in school. And I told stories of things like being in a school where... Um, he forgot the word for an eraser in English because English was not his first language. Gurindji is his first language. And so he asked his teacher in English, can I please have A, and then used his own word in his own language. And he had to stand outside in the baking hot sun for three hours because he used a word in his own language. In our country. In my lifetime. Um, and he talked about the history that they were taught about this land and whose it was, and where it started, and when it started. And it didn't include him, and it didn't include his family, and his people, and the generations, and millennia of stories. Um, and that's, you know, not that dissimilar to what I learned at school. I hope that there's a line in this room between those of us, if you were educated in Australia, who went to school pre, you know, 20, 30 years ago and post, but I learned the history of this land pretty much starting with Captain Cook and Arthur Phillip and the First Fleet. I remember 1988 when I was in Year 7 celebrating the bicentennial of our country. I was in Sydney at the time. It was a pretty big deal. We dressed up. We had a big parade. There was big ships coming in. And I didn't know and I wouldn't learn for another 20 years that just down the road from where I was as a school kid celebrating this incredible milestone, there were people being forced to reenact their part in the story when their land was taken off them. There were people protesting down the road at the injustices that were still being done against them. I didn't know. I wasn't taught. And as Danny shared that with us, that he wasn't taught that either, his sense of not knowing his own history. We then went on in the conversation and we said to Danny and Leah, and at this time it was Leah who answered the question, what would you say to us as your sisters and brothers, as fellow members of the church, Baptist churches, as the church in Australia, what would you ask of us? And she said, the first thing I would ask of you is to learn our history. Learn the stories and history of this country. And that was just a real challenge that I wanted to pass on to you. It was given to me, but I think is given to all of us. The Bible is grounded in history. God is a God of history. God is a God of truth. And the story of who God is and how God has been at work through generations past forms and shapes who we are as the people of God today. And the story of our nation forms and shapes who we are as the people today 
in some really challenging ways? What does it look like to hear that invitation to listen and learn? Part of that history, just one small part of that history, happened in that very place we were standing in Kalkaringi. Um, the next photo is of another leader in the church at Kalkaringi. His name is George. And uh, George is uh, great fun uh, to hang out with. Um, but the most amazing story that George told me was a story that happened when he was seven years old. And as a seven-year-old, he was a part of what is called the Wave Hill Walk-Off. How many people in this room have heard of the Wave Hill Walk-Off? That's, that's not many. That's great, but also not many. How many people in this room have heard of Vincent Lingari? Yeah, a few more. Excellent. Do you know Vincent Lingari was a member of the Kalkarindji Dagaragu Baptist Church? I didn't know that until this week. Uh, Vincent Lingari, if you haven't heard of him, Google him, look up Wikipedia, look up anything, or go to Jules, who has an amazing kids book about this story. That's a fantastic. Um, but basically, the Wave Hill Walk-Up happened in the 1960s and is seen as the beginnings of Aboriginal land rights in this country. And in fact, there's a sign as you enter into Gurindji territory that says Gurindji country, birthplace of Aboriginal land rights. And um, we went to the place where they walked, where George walked as a seven-year-old. Uh, and sorry, Ryan, I think I'm getting the photos out of order here, but I've got a photo there of a, a marker, a memorial, and it starts on the top of it, it says, this is a place of national significance. And it's just on the side of the dirt road in the bush there. Um, but the place where the Aboriginal people who at that time were essentially being paid for the work that they were doing with bags of food... Uh, and they tell stories of things like, you know, bags of food that had sugar and tea all thrown into the same bag and mixed in, and it's like, you know, here's your wages for the week. Um, essentially walked off and said, this is not right, this is unjust. Um, and between seven and nine years, it took for there to be an acknowledgement of their rights to be paid fairly for their labour, but actually it turned into a much bigger conversation about the land on which... You know, they were working for others who had claimed ownership of the land on which they had lived for generations. Uh, and there's a very famous photo, and I've got a painting from up in Darwin of the photo in 1975, which was the year I was born, <laughs> when Gough Whitlam, the Prime Minister of Australia, symbolically gave some land to Vincent Ligari as the very beginnings of us saying, we need to address this wrong that has been done in our nation. I was born that year, and what's changed? What's different since we made that claim that many years ago? The other thing that um, George and others in the, in the church shared with us is just the real practical challenges they face. We, as a team at Baptist churches, work with churches like this most of the time. And so we sit down with pastors and church leaders and we talk about big, exciting issues like governance and mission and how our church can, you know, be a light to its community and what it might look like to run programs and events and raise up leaders. And I sit with the members of Kakaringi Dagaraga Church and they talk about the need for a bus so that people can actually get into town and be a part of the community. And they need for sheets on the beds. <laughs> and they need for houses that aren't asbestos-ridden and flooding every time the wet season comes in so that people are forced to live outside. And I think, how are we sisters and brothers together? As I said, I have many more questions than answers. But I wanted to share some of these stories with you today. 
Then we headed into Lajamanu, and Lajamanu has a couple of church leaders who are kind of legends, um, both in our story as Baptist churches, but I also think wider in their communities because they are community leaders. Uh, the first I have a photo of is a man by the name of Jerry Jungler. And before I went to Lajamanu, basically everyone I know who knows of Lajamanu, when I said I was going to Lajamanu, said, say hello to Jerry Jungler. And so we got there, and we're like, we've got about 700 people whose greetings we have to pass on to you uh, because everybody just respects the wisdom an eldership of this man. And it was such a privilege to sit outside his house and listen to his heart. And again, the incredible graciousness for partnering with us, for inviting us to walk with him and them as a community. Um, I, yeah, I, I said, I, I still have, um, yeah. <laughs> I'm still trying to wrestle with um, my own responses and, you know, then and share this with you. But um, Jerry said to me, as in my role with Baptist churches, he'd been to the assembly at which the Baptist churches of the Northern Territory voted to join with us as the Baptist churches of South Australia. And he said to me, I'm so excited. It's so wonderful. You know, really looking forward to how we might walk together in partnership and what God might be wanting to do, what Whopera might be wanting to do uh, through us as, as we recognise that we're part of something bigger and that we're brothers and sisters together. Um, and that's, you know, incredibly humbling to hear, but it's also incredibly challenging to hear um, because this hand and invitation of partnership has been extending, being extended, how do I say this well, um, by someone of incredible wisdom and grace and leadership and has, has so much to teach us, but also um, by someone who has had so much done to them by people like me. And I, you know, I, can't, I just think, how many times in your lifetime have people come and, and asked you the same questions and said, how can we partner with you and how can we walk with you and nothing has changed and yet you are still so graciously saying, let's walk this journey together? Um, as just, there's, there's so much wrestling going on. I, the incredible graciousness of people who have been promised something time and 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 time again and it has not come through, who are still offering their hand and saying, Let, let's walk together. Um, and, and what does it mean <laughs> to want to be the people who don't just say, sure, but who actually wrestle with what that looks like in practice? Um, the other person we met at Lajamanu is Lynette Tasman, who's the associate pastor um, of the Lajamanu Baptist Church, and again, a bit of a legend. And we weren't sure if we were going to get to meet Lynette because she was out in Sorry Camp um, as a member of her family had died just the day before we arrived. Um, but it, it was an incredible privilege to, to go to the Sorry Camp and sit with the women just for a couple of hours uh, and chat and listen. And the voice of Lynette in my head that I will continue to hear over and over again, which is her story at the moment, but reflects to me a much wider story, is there has just been too much sorry in our community. There's too much sorry. The life expectancy of an Aboriginal Australian person in one of the most developed countries in the world, in the country that has just again been named the wealthiest country in the world, is lower than that of some people in the poorest countries in the world in West Africa. <laughs> Aboriginal people in this country are 15 times more likely to end up in jail than you or I. And they are not, by nature, more criminal. <laughs> the gap 
the disparity between our circumstances and that of our sisters and brothers in our own lands, or should I say in their lands on which we have the privilege of being invited to walk with them, is horrifying and heartbreaking. And to sit with people saying, we've just had too much sorry this year, let alone the last few years, let alone our lifetimes. The weight of that will stay with me, and I hope again I can share some of that weight with you. But I did want to share two stories, I guess, of, of challenge and hope with you. Back in Kalkarinji, and I don't have um, a photo of, of her because my goal is not to take photos of people but to listen and learn and walk with them. Um, but I spent uh, the three nights we were in Kalkarinji uh, with a beautiful woman in the church. Her name is Angela. And every night, every night, she walks up to the hill overlooking the town where there is a cross that the church has placed up there. And she takes off her shoes and she kneels at the cross and she prays for her town. And I went up there uh, on Wednesday night at sunset uh, with her and looked over the town. <laughs> a town that feels so far away from where I live and so different to my own circumstance um, and situation. But a town of people, most of whom love Jesus and gather together to sing his praises and are so excited to meet other followers of Jesus and who have such practical needs and challenges and are crying out for God to answer their prayers. And I wanted to pray with her, but I also wondered how I can pray if I'm not willing to be part of the answer to that prayer. Does that make any sense, that passage in James that we read? You know, what good is faith if there's no deeds to go with it? How can you just, for one night while you happen to be in town, cry out for these things if you're not really willing to take on the burden and the questions of what it looks like to respond? But she has great hope. And as I said, that town has been a place that has seen great revivals. Um, again, I'm, I'm struggling with my words because I, I recognise I'm a learner and a listener in this space and I, I, I know I will say things wrong and I ask forgiveness and apologise when I do. But one of the things that has really challenged me about engaging with sisters and brothers in Indigenous communities is that the, the gospel, the, the message of Jesus came to them through people like me, people who take, had taken their land and had forced them to not speak their language and at times people who took their children from them and put them into camps because they thought that was a better way. And yet... The resonance of the gospel story, which resonates with this spirituality that goes for ancient times, uh, you know, and this sense that, that what we as a, they, when I say we, I mean, them, you know, what, what they as a people have been um, celebrating and, and pondering and, you know, thinking about for generations finds its fulfilment in the person of Jesus um, just blows me away. What I'm trying to say is my understanding is the statistics in Australia are something like 70% of Aboriginal people are followers of Jesus, are Christians. Right? They have responded to the gospel. Uh, the town of Lajamani was something like 98% Baptist in the last census, right? The church is the centre and a hub of town. White Australians like me, I think about 7% of us are part of the church, like engaged in the church, <laughs> 
and yet we see ourselves too often as the ones who kind of have something to share. I just sort of sit and listen and learn about Jesus and about the gospel from people who are so willing to embrace the good news of Jesus and see it in a way that is not, you know, doesn't have the baggage of my culture and my history and the individualism and materialism and and all the things that are consumerism that are so part of my world. Um, There is is great hope um, in prayer. Uh, One story I wasn't going to share with you. Sorry, I'm going to, you know, I could talk all day. So, yeah, someone better tell me when to stop. Um, (laughs) On the first night we were in Kalkarinji, we'd heard about the sorry business in Lajamani and there was some concern that there might be some violence and some payback and, you know, um, and so we'd been asked to pray. And let me tell you, these, these women can pray. This is the women's prayer meeting at the church. They can pray. They all pray together at the same time. Um, and I could not stick with them for long enough. <laughs> um, I thought, you know, that I could pray and you think that I can talk and I can. <laughs> but, you know, they prayed and they poured out their hearts asking God. Um, and then we went to Lajamanu and visited um, Lynette and she said, just tell them thank you for their prayers because God did a miracle and it's all been peaceful. Um, and it was so just, like, such a challenge to me. We're in this month of prayer. Are we really expecting God to answer? Are we really faithfully praying? Are we, you know, spending, I don't know, five seconds, let alone a minute or half an hour every day praying um, and actually expecting that God will answer and do a miracle for us because it's such great faith and um, brings great hope and great challenge to me. Um, the final picture I have, um, just to to one last story before I try and ask you some questions, um, is this, when we got back to Darwin, uh, got to spend some time at Nanyalinga College, which is a Bible college, a theological college for Indigenous Christians, seeking to empower Indigenous Christians. And um, this is their, uh, I think I've got a photo of part of their campus, but I've also got a photo of their course map, um, which I love because it doesn't look like any course map that I've seen in theological education before, which I love. Um, And they um, bring people together for two to four week blocks from all different communities across all of Australia, predominantly territory, but actually Indigenous Christians from all over Australia. to come together and study the scriptures uh, and wrestle um, with issues of faith and family and to um, do, practice art uh, and music and, and, you know, hold on to a story and tradition from the past uh, and share it with one another. Um, and it is a, a place of great, again, a place of great hope and learning about the gospel through culture. Uh, it certainly challenges my culturally bound interpretations of the scriptures and the gospel, and there's much for me to learn, and I would love to sit at the feet uh, of some of these people. Um, but there was also just this great sense of, of partnership of people from different communities, different Aboriginal communities and nations coming together, and stories then uh, of them being there for each other and partnering with one another and supporting one another in ways that completely challenged me. There's a community uh, out of Darwin in territory at the moment that's seeing an awful lot of violence, water, and I met a, a lady in Darwin who had to leave her home and was, you know, sleeping rough in Darwin because of how much violence there was in her community. And um, some people from another place in the territory right across the top end, hundreds of kilometres away, heard about this and just travelled to be a presence in the community and to pray for peace, just to be there, not to give anything, not to try and fix the issues, not to, you know, do what I probably would have done, which is try and try to throw, throw some money at it see if that'll fix it. Just to be there and to pray, to trust that God would be at work through that. Um, 
As I said, I could probably go on all day, but these stories um, are just a few stories from one week in my experience. And I know there are people in this room who have all kinds of other experiences and could probably uh, tell stories that they might explain in a much better way than what I've done. But all of these touch on so many biblical invitations for us. Those scriptures that I began with to frame today talk about things like justice. What do we do when there is a great injustice in our land, where there are people who are not experiencing what we experience, who are not being afforded the same opportunities, uh, who face incredible disparity. The scriptures speak about unity. What does it mean to recognise that we are sisters and brothers, that we are one, that there is one God and one Lord, and it's not about us having it all together and therefore having something to offer to them, but that we together as one um, might seek the voice of the Spirit. The scriptures talk about forgiveness, Um, And that's an interesting one to wrestle with, both in terms of the forgiveness that I certainly feel like I receive uh, from some of the people I meet, but what it means for us to offer forgiveness to ourselves and one another and to acknowledge um, the places where that is needed. The scriptures talk about land and place and context and that God um, offers us, you know, um, to walk with us. Jesus comes and walks amongst us in the place where the people are. He grounds his feet in the dirt. Um, What does it mean for us to connect with that? The scriptures talk about us as a community, not as individuals. The scriptures talk about truth-telling and reconciliation. What does it mean for you personally to live in this country? And I know we have a couple of visitors who don't live here, but I'm sure you can ponder this for yourselves. But for most of us to live in this country and hear some of those stories and wrestle with those questions as followers of Jesus? What does it mean for this church, for Richmond? What does it look like for us as we journey together from here? What does it look like for our movement of churches to go on this journey together? And what is it going to look like for our nation to move forward from here and not keep going around in circles where we make promises and where big statements are made and yet we seem to find ourselves back again and again at the same place? I want to finish this morning by challenging you. What's one thing, what's one action that you can take to respond to some of the questions and stories and scriptures and conglomeration of things that I have thrown at you this morning? For some of you, you might be like, I'm miles ahead of you, Melinda, (laughs) and that's fantastic. Um, But still, what's one next step that you can take? And for others, you might be like, this is all just, you know, something that I don't know anything about. What's the first step that you can take? And most of us, I imagine, will be somewhere in the middle on the journey together. But what's one action you can take? Maybe it's responding to Leah's uh, invitation to learn something about our history. What's a book you can read? What's a, uh, a documentary you can watch? What's a Google search you can do to learn something about history? Maybe it's learning your own history and said, as I have done, where were you born? Where did you grow up? On whose lands have you lived and walked throughout your lifetime in this country? Maybe it's listening. Is there a person that you know and in relationship with who can share stories? Can you ask them questions? Can you sit with them and spend time with them? Or maybe it's by videos, by, you know, meeting with those. um, I've got a bunch of resources I'll put up on the screen of people that you can listen to. Maybe it's learning the history of our country. Uh, Has anyone watched Australian Wars yet? One. It's on SBS at the moment. It's on demand. You can go to SBS and watch it. There's three episodes. I personally would suggest not binging all three at once. Is that a fair call, Jules? Or did you, did you watch them all at once? 
You only watched one? Yeah, I haven't finished the third one. Um, it is confronting and challenging, and I personally believe every Australian and certainly every Australian Christian needs to watch that. I would highly recommend it to you. Um, Maybe it's a book that you could read. Uh, Maybe you could pray specifically for something. Maybe it's a step of advocacy. Um, As we sat with the brothers and sisters in Kalkarinji and they told us that their biggest need was for housing. They'd actually been promised houses two years ago to replace these houses that flood every wet season and are filled with asbestos and nothing has happened yet. And we're like, what can we do? And they said, advocate for us. And so we sat down that night and we wrote a letter to the housing ministry in the territory and we put all our titles and you know when you're like, you pull out the like, I pulled out the Reverend Doctor. We pulled out the titles. Like, anything we can do, um, you know, but just what's one step uh, that we can take to recognise the power and the privilege that we have and how we might use it on behalf of others. So I'd love you to take a photo of that last screen. Um, these are just some suggestions. You probably have others of your own or I'm sure others in our church would have, have others of their own, people like Jules. No, um, especially, I'm, I'm super excited about the kids' book. I should have asked you to bring it to show it to us this morning. Um, but just to run you through what some of those are, the Uluru Statement uh, is this invitation that has been offered on behalf of, um, you know, Aboriginal people like white people in Australia don't all speak with one voice, um, but certainly a a large number of Aboriginal people came together five years ago and made this statement, which is an invitation to the rest of Australia to walk together with them. If you haven't read it, start there. If you have read it, how do you respond? Um, A Just Cause is actually Australian Baptists. Um, We, as a national council, as I said, have challenged all our churches over the next year uh, to respond to the Uluru Statement. And so that website has put together a bunch of resources that are some starting points uh, for how you as an individual, your small group or your church, we as a church might do that. Baptist Union of Victoria is the third one. They've also done a whole heap of work on this previously. They have an excellent resource page on their website. Australians Together, which I hope numbers of you have heard about. Um, if, for those who know Josh Bogle, Josh's dad, Stuart, um, is uh, the key person for Australians Together in Adelaide. Uh, they also have a bunch of resources for churches. TIA have a reconciliation action kit. I put the link to the SBS documentary. I should probably put a you know, content warning, not for children, uh, and even for adults, be prepared. <laughs> Um, but we need to be willing to confront the truth of our history. Um, And then the last one was a suggestion from Nate. If you haven't read Talking My Country by Stan Grant, that's a great book to start with to listen um, to a gracious invitation for our nation. So there's some suggestions. Think of your own. What I would like to do is give you two minutes to turn to the person next to you because there's something that happens when you say it out loud and answer this question. What is one thing? One thing, however small or large it might be, what is one thing that you can do this week to respond to these questions and challenges? So, two minutes. Talk to the person next to you. Go. Okay. I hope, <laughs> I hope you've shared some ideas. And um, there is certainly something about saying it out loud and hearing someone else say it. Um, if, you know, if someone shared with you something they're going to do, maybe ask them next week, how did you go with that? Um, but one thing we can all do is pray. And as I was reminded by my sisters this week, prayer is not nothing. Prayer is powerful uh, because we believe in a powerful God who can do miraculous things more than we can ask or imagine. And we pray in expectation and faith. Prayer is also powerful because it changes us. As we sit before God uh, and bring others 
um, bring our nation, bring our communities before God. Not only does God work, but God, you know, in, in the circumstances, but God works in us. So I would love you to invite you to join me and let's pray together this morning and then we're going to sing one final song. So let's pray. God, we come to you this morning as individuals, um, you know, mostly, largely individuals who live in a land not first our own and who continue to wrestle with what that means and how we respond well to that fact and that reality. We come to you as a church community who seeks to recognise what is happening, has happened and could happen in the future in this country, in our local place, but also in that wider sense and wrestles with what that means for us and how we accept the invitation that has been offered to us by our sisters and brothers from Aboriginal communities near and far. I come to you as part of a wider movement, a family of churches across this country who are Aboriginal and non-Aboriginal and Burmese and Romanian and Greek and people who've come from all kinds of places, but who together are seeking to live out what it means to follow Jesus in this land, in these lands, and to walk well with the people that you first entrusted these lands to. And we come to you as people who are part of a nation that has been wrestling for many years with our identity, with our recognition of the past, with the disparity that's found in the present, and with the questions of the future as we face, um, you know, national conversations and a referendum on what it means to respond to the invitation of our First Nations people. So this morning, God, we want to pray. We want to pray because we believe that you have the power to bring transformation to us as individuals, to change our hearts where there are corners of racism, where there are corners of apathy and ignorance, where there are corners of despair and confusion, and this is all just too hard. We pray because we believe that you have the power to lead and guide our church, to provide for us as we're praying this month, but more than that, to shape us and transform us to be people who live out your gospel in our time and place. We pray because we believe you have the power to shape our movement, our family of churches, to model relationship well, where Aboriginal and non-Aboriginal walk together as sisters and brothers, and to advocate to our nation. And we pray because we believe you have the power to do a work in our nation. When we find imperfect solutions and conversations and debates about how to move forward, we ask you, God, to lead and be at work in the hearts and the minds of those who have power, of those who are offering ideas and solutions, and in all of us as we seek to go on this journey together. We pray, God, that you might heal this land, these nations that make up this country we now call Australia, that you might do a work in us and through us, that we might see a new way of being together, 
of telling the truth, of honouring and recognising your work in and through our First Nations people and of hearing their voices and your spirit's voice as to how we might move forward together. And God, we pray that you would do your work in us. We have named to one another this morning and in your presence one thing that we might do in response. We don't want to be the people we read about in the book of James who are all talk about faith and no action. And so we pray that you might give us the courage, uh, the patience, the wisdom, the energy, the resources, whatever it is that we will need to follow through on what we have said we will do as an act of faith and trust and hope and prayer that transformation in this nation might start with us. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.